Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I just want to tell you that... Uh got a message from Ann Janelle. She's going to be with us next Sunday. You're going to come and bring some music. That'll be great. And I'm talking to some other people, too, about coming and helping us in our music department. Today, I tell you what, the music has been absolutely fantastic. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, nothing like humility, right? I'm still trying to learn humility. Yes, it's one of my greatest virtues is humility. It's one of the things I'm most proud of is the humility that I've that I'm experiencing day by day. Russ, thank you so much for reading. I, I tell you, isn't it special when he reads the scriptures? There's something wonderful about that. I just, I don't know what it is, but this tender spirit and the wonderful, the wonderful witness of our dear friend Russ, Russ and Joanne. All right, let's talk a little bit about those words that we saw. Let's see. Come to me, all of you who are weary and tired from the heavy burden you have been forced to carry. I thought about those words, been forced to carry. I give you rest. I will give you rest. Sometimes in life, it seems like, how, what did I do to earn this? You know, what did I do to deserve this? But sometimes those heavy burdens come, and, we seem, and it just seems like, wow, I wasn't planning on this. Other heavy burdens come because of our own self-induced misery. Now, I can accept the burdens that come upon me from outside, but the ones that are most difficult are the ones that come up because of my own failures and my own lack of performance and my own weakness, my own doing. And those are the ones that are hardest to overcome. Those are the ones that really weigh us down. Is, am, I, am I strange in this, or does everyone else have this same experience? I feel like sometimes self-induced misery is the worst kind of misery that a person can have. The things that we do to ourselves, the things that we look back on and we have such regret. We think, how could I be that stupid? How could I be that selfish? How could I be that thoughtless? What in the world was wrong with me? Why did I allow my emotions to just take over? What a fool I've been. What terrible things I realize now. What I have done wrong. And I think it's part of the human lot to experience those kinds of things. It was that particular burden, that type of burden that I'd like to share with you and talk with you a little bit about this morning. Do we have a message title anywhere? There it is. Let's rest, get some rest down deep in your soul. From Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Now, <clears throat> these these self-induced burdens, these this misery that comes to us is very, very, very powerful. I can't tell you the depths of the power of this misery that can come into our lives and into our minds and into our hearts. And it can become so overwhelming and so strong and so convincing that there is no way that uh, we could ever escape it or ever work through it or ever become happy again. The, 
Never again could we smile, not really smile, not really be free. Never again we're going to have to live over here because of what we have done. It's just how it is. It was the, uh, those two guys that started the Alcoholics Anonymous. They started their first person that they ever talked to. The first person they ever talked to. It was Bob Smith and somebody else. I can't remember the other guy's name. But they started this. And the first guy they talked to was an attorney in Chicago, I think. But it could have been another city. And he was uh, an alcoholic person. And he had struggled. He had failed several times to try to overcome his, his addiction. And, and he, uh, he was in the hospital. And in those days, they were treating them uh, in different kinds of ways. They had him strapped down because he was hallucinating. He was having all kinds of trouble being violent and everything. And these two men came in, and they began to tell him, look, you can, be, you can whip this. You can get over this. You, you, can, you can find a way to live in a, in a healthier way. I don't know exactly the terms they use. Uh, but uh, they said, you have to call upon the, your higher power. You have to call upon God to help you, you know. And uh, the attorney objected to this because he said, well, I know, I know there is a God, and I, and I believe in God, but I, I am convinced that he doesn't believe in me anymore. He doesn't believe in me anymore. Mm. Have you ever been in that spot where you just were convinced that no matter what God would not believe in you again God would not give you another opportunity again and if he didn't even if he did you know good and well that people won't and people wouldn't and you're so burdened down with this terrible sense of failure this terrible sense of Shame, guilt, it's horrible. And I know that this sounds, uh, uh, let's say, uh, intellectual, but I want to say, and you and I both know, that that very condition could be sitting right here in this room this morning. So we have to be very careful in the way that we talk about these things because it isn't an abstraction that's a million miles away. And it isn't somebody who's living in California. It could be someone in this room here with us today. It could be me. It could be you. And we don't know the depths of the struggle that so many of us have. I know every week I read or hear of someone who gave up and they took their life. Well, I always wonder about that. You know, they say you're temporarily insane if you kill yourself. But what are the conditions that lead up to that kind of a decision? It's almost inevitable that the person has given up any hope of being valued, of being loved, of being forgiven, of being understood. That, In other words, there's no way that anybody could love me after all of this failure. Well, here at Friends and Family, we started a ministry about 10 years ago. And all this time, there's been one theme, and that is come to Jesus. As he says in the scripture, come to me, all of ye, all of you. I'm still the old King James thing. I just like that, come to me, all of ye. I just think it's got a ring. I love that kind of.
come to me, all of ye who are weak and heavy laden. Don't you like that? Uh, I do. I, it's just showing my age, I guess. But come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, who are burdened down. Notice that we're not saying come to us. He didn't, say, he didn't say come to friends and family, and we've never said come to friends and family. We've never held ourselves out as, hey, just live the way I'm living and do what I do, and hey, everything will be great. It's not at all the message I've ever given. It's always been a message of a broken-hearted person, broken through my own personal failures in life, and continuing to struggle with all the things that every other human being struggles with, but like a beggar, I have found bread, the bread of life, and I'm just telling all of you other beggars where you can find it too. It's all about Jesus. Come to Jesus, all of you who are weak and heavy laden. It's, it's really him and his grace that is the only hope that we really have. It's the only place you will ever find forgiveness and grace because the world is a hard hard place and people delight in other people's suffering i don't know if you've noticed this or not but if somebody slips up there is a celebration that goes on and you see it in the in the snickering and the laughter and the giddy happy expressions of their shaming operation in order to condemn a fellow human being the Bible teaches us a little different approach. It says, when you see your brother overtaken in a fault, consider yourself because you may be next, or it could have been you. Consider yourself lest you also be tempted. So there's this need in us to recognize that these problems, these self-induced miseries are very, very strong, very powerful, can kill, can kill and do kill weekly, weekly. So we must offer the best word that we can, which is this. Come to Jesus, all of you who are so heavy laden, thinking I have messed up too many times, I have failed too often, I just recently, just yesterday failed, how can God possibly love me? How can God have anything to do with me at this point in my life after all of my terrible performance? I was talking with Jason this morning earlier about a baseball player back in 1986, in the fall of 86. What was his name? Donnie? What was his name? Donnie Moore. You ever hear the story of Donnie Moore? He was, uh, in, I believe it was game five of the, uh, was it the National American League Series trying to get to the World Series. And he gave up a home run, as I recall, and they lost the series. And he was the butt of all kinds of criticism and rebuke and the press uh, reamed him out every which way and the fans and it was terrible what happened the man went into a deep depression he turned to alcohol 
he got so discouraged that in about two or three years later in 1989, he took his life. And he did this because he couldn't forgive himself, and nobody else would forgive him either. They would always hold it against him over a ball game, a ball game. And I've always wondered, what is wrong with us? I was in Chicago. Now, I know I'm treading on thin ice here. I was at a Chicago Cubs game, and they were playing the St. Louis Cardinals. There, does that help you all feel better now? <laughs> Keep this balanced here as best possible. I live in Atlanta, which is about halfway between the two cities, so I always have to kind of watch my step. But anyway, there were 40,000 people there that day. I was thinking, man, I wish I could preach to a crowd like this, but you know what brought those people there? Well, they had nine men, and each of them took turns with a stick, and they hit this little round thing, and then they'd run in a circle, and sometimes they'd run real fast, and sometimes the people would just stand up and cheer, and it was amazing how wonderful it was. I thought, yeah, I don't really understand this. Now, don't get me wrong, I played baseball, and I love sports as much as anybody, and my son, Jeff, and Greg, and Cynthia, my kids, they are St. Louis Cardinals fans. Sorry there, Jason. I hate to mention that. And, I mean, they are so enthused about it. And Jenny's a Cardinal fan. We got any Cub fans in here today? Lift a hand. Whoa, look at that. Any Card fans among us? Watch your step. Watch your step. Okay. <laughs> but, honestly, it is simply a game, right? Let's all agree that it really is a game. Now, we all enjoy sports, and I've played sports, and, I was a physical education uh, teacher. I've, I've coached basketball. I mean, I love athletics. Nothing wrong with athletics. Nothing wrong with being a Cubs fan, especially this year, right? <laughs> Nothing wrong with being a Cards fan. But when you take it so seriously that you destroy your own life because you failed in the game, to meet the expectations of the fans and the press, and you hear this constant humdrum of this criticism until you get so depressed you can't face another day. You know, that's tragic, so tragic. Every year, March Madness, you know, basketball rolls around. Those college kids, man, playing. There's some amazing games. I've been caught up in the March Madness right along with everybody else because I love basketball. I remember the first time I ever got in a game of basketball, I was in the eighth grade. I hadn't gone out before, and I was a little taller than some of the kids, so the coach thought I should play. But I didn't know anything about it, and I wasn't any good. And one night, we were getting beat about 30 points, and I was sitting on the end of the bench, and the coach called my name. I ran down to him, and I said, yeah, coach, yeah. And he said, well, Collins, get in there. A good laugh might do the boys some good. So that was my beginning of my career as a as a basketball player. And you know what? I actually learned how to play, and it turned out I did pretty good for a while there. But except for that first shot I took, which was at the wrong end of the floor. <laughs> I still remember that. Oh, my gosh. And speaking of things that you don't forget in sports, we were playing Robinson, the Robinson Maroons one night, football. I was left in part of the time, and part of the time I was left out. But I was in the game at the particular time 
that I, that the, and one year it rained so hard that the whole field was covered with uh, water on one end of the field. The coach sent me in as a sub. I don't know if you knew about that or not, but uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> oh, that's terrible. You shouldn't laugh at your own jokes, but that is funny. Let me tell you, that is really funny. So here I am, and the ball is coming. Tom Jennings threw me this 60-yard pass. I was wide open in the clear. All I had to do was catch it and run into the end zone to score a touchdown and take the lead over our rivals, the Robinson Maroons. And guess who dropped the ball? I relived that over and over and over, and here today, all these years later, I still remember, I can still see that ball coming toward me. I can still see the ball. I can still hear the announcer saying, he's got a man, he's got a man open deep in the deep flats. Oh, he's going to be a touchdown. Oh, he dropped it. I listened to the replay on the radio over and over and over. It's terrible. But anyway, that was my last year in football. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, and to make matters worse, I broke my leg that year after that. I was done with football after that. But every year in March, you know, you have these, these kids, and they always take it down to the last-second shot, and it's usually about one second to go, and there's a kid on the free-throw line, and he's, he's waiting to, to shoot that, that two-point shot. And, of course, the coach on the other team, timeout, timeout, they're going to ice him, you know. And up in the stands are all these people waving these flags, 40,000 people in there trying to distract him and keep him from making those baskets. And here he is, nervous on the sideline. All of his teammates are over there patting him. You know, they're not saying anything, but they're all giving him encouragement, giving him encouragement. He comes back out there. You can see his hands are shaking. His knees are wobbling. He's got the ball in his hand. What's going to happen? Well... Then they cut to a commercial, and you don't really know, and somebody calls, and you come back in, and then you find out the next scene you're able to see when the, before the days of DVRs. Here the kid is, drenched in Gatorade, riding on the shoulders of his teammates, and you know, well, he must have made the shots. <laughs> but if he had missed those free throws, 20 years later he would be sitting in a counselor's office trying to figure out how is he going to be able to make his life come together at last. You know, this is a world that is performance-based. It is performance-based. And people will judge you and, yes, condemn you based on your performance. In the world that Christ brings to us, it is not about performance, amazingly. And it isn't about fairness. It's about a certain kind of unfairness, if you will. And let me explain it this way. Jesus told a story about a boy that wished his father would die so he could, he could inherit his, his wealth that he had coming to him. And that in itself tells you a little bit about the boy. But his father, being a magnanimous man, gave his inheritance to the son before he had even passed away, which in itself is very unusual and very gracious, wouldn't you say? Very undeserved, you know, normally you have to wait, wait. You can't have all that money while you're still young. You have to wait until your father gets very old and then the inheritance comes. So, of course, he took the money and he wasted it in 
riotous living and foolishness. And as time passed, he wound up in poverty and hungry. As the story goes, Jesus tells the story how the boy wound up in a pig pen eating with the pigs, which for a Hebrew boy would be particularly averse. And so here he is, and he's thinking to himself, I know what I will do. I will go back to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned. I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven. And I ask you if you would only please take me back just as a servant, not as a son. I understand I've forfeited my right to be a son of yours. I don't have a place in the family anymore. There's no longer a place around the table for me. No, I'll be out with the servants. I'll be out of the family. But if you could just give me some crumbs, some meager food, I would appreciate it. So he rises up and he goes, travels some great distance to get to his father. And as his father is standing at the gate watching, it says in the story that the father was watching for him to come. He was longing for him to return. And when he saw him at a distance, he did what any mature, dignified Hebrew man would never do. He ran to find and embrace his son. He said, that's my boy. That's my son. I'm going to go get him. I'm going to go meet him. And so immediately, of course, the son begins, begins his apology. Father, I have sinned against heaven. And just be quiet about that. Bygones are bygones. Come on, servants, please. This is my son. He was dead. He is now, he is alive again. Kill the fattened calf. We are going to celebrate. And they began to make merry. Was it deserved? No. Was it right? No, it wasn't right. It was unfair, especially to the older son who had been faithful always done what his father expected, worked faithfully, always did it right. And his older son came in and was angry, and he said, Look, I can't believe you're doing this. You've never killed a fattened calf for me. You've never had a party for me and my friends to get together and have a thing like this. And here my good-for-nothing brother comes back from wasting your substance and all that you were giving, all already given to him, and you're having this big party to celebrate his return? I can't stand this man. I don't want to have anything to do with him, and I am not going to participate in this. That's the way I feel about it, because I've always done it right, and this fella does not deserve what you're giving him. Well, that's the way an angry religious person will talk sometimes, especially those who've never done anything wrong. And it is so ungraceful. And I worry about us sometimes because we're all inclined to be like that older brother. We just are. We're so inclined to find the fault in our brother and to be, to kind of relish their misery and just wish they would just get what they deserve. But that's not the way of Jesus. And he tells this story 
because he wants us to know and remember that in God's economy, there's a certain kind of injustice, unfairness, that is the only reason that Jesus came into this world. He came into the world to seek and to save that which is lost. He came not to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world. He came not to condemn you, but to save you. He came not to condemn me, but to save us. Can save me. And we all need saving. And it's not something that we do by our performance. Now, the biggest unfairness of all was to Jesus himself. For he lived a life of absolute purity and perfection. And at the end of his days, he was tortured to death. Tortured to death. Never having done anything wrong. And we, the sinners of the world, receive what he should have received, which is life and blessing and forgiveness and hope in heaven. And he took torment and death and hell. And that's the imbalance. That's the injustice. But the wonderful news to us is this. You, me, with our huge, and I do mean huge, burden of self-misery, self-induced misery through our own failures, through our own stupid, foolish actions. We are invited to come home. We're invited to smile. We're invited to be forgiven. We're invited, invited to be free. Free. And the world may condemn you, and your neighbors may condemn you, and the world may have given up on you, and the neighbors and the people even in the church may have given up on you. But God hasn't, for, God hasn't forgotten, and God hasn't given up on you. And this is, this is the thing that keeps people from killing themselves. This is the thing that helps somebody to realize, you know what, all of that gospel that we've preached all these years about love and mercy and kindness and forgiveness, I'm going to need that, and I need that for myself. Don't ever break down the bridge of mercy. Don't ever break it down because you will need to cross that bridge someday. This is what Christ offers, a bridge of mercy back home, back to happy times are here again for all of us, for all of us who are weary. And we will find true rest deep in our souls. This is the Word of God. It's all because of Christ and His death for us. His cleansing blood, forgiving us for every sin. No sin is so terrible, but that Christ will forgive it. This is the Word of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.